if you want to have an optimized health, if you want to be able to be vital, to grow and, you know, to age beautifully and graciously, to have vitality in your life, to have enough energy to exercise, to sleep well, you need to listen to what your body is telling you. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. My guest today is Dr. Edison DeMello, who's a board-certified integrative physician and a licensed psychotherapist. He's also the founder and the chief medical officer of the Akasha Center in Santa Monica, California, where he treats patients using his signature East-Meast-West approach, including me. As I've mentioned many, many times on past interviews with Dr. DeMello, he has literally saved my life more than once. And as he has also mentioned in our previous interviews together, unlike many doctors in the traditional medical system, Dr. D does not treat diseases or symptoms first, he treats the patient first. And today's conversation centers around his new book, which is called Bloated, How to Reclaim Your Gut Health and Eat Without Pain. Now, if you commonly experience bouts of brain fog, the inability to focus, lethargy and chronic fatigue, or you even just kind of have a lack of creativity or motivation, you might be surprised to learn how much your gut health or your lack thereof could be responsible. Dr. DeMello's expertise on how our gut impacts our physical, our mental, and even our emotional health will leave you with a better understanding of what's really going on under the hood and provide you with practical, simple steps to start healing from the inside out. You're going to learn how the body has its own language, and in Dr. DeMello's words, that language is symptoms. Now, beyond discussing just common digestion problems like bloating or stomach pain or gas, we also dig a lot deeper into the emotional issues that often stem from the gut, like depression. And even cooler, we discuss how you can strengthen your intuition and your ability to quote-unquote follow your gut simply by improving your digestion. Pretty cool, right? 
Oh yeah, we talk about farts too. I have no doubt that you're going to love this lighthearted conversation that is not only going to provide you with a wealth of information regarding how to start assessing and addressing your gut health, but you're also going to have a laugh or two along the way. All right, without further ado, my conversation with Dr. Edison DeMello. To access the show notes for this episode with all the bonus links and resources discussed today, as well as to subscribe, leave a review, and more, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode 188. I am here today with Dr. Edison DeMello, who is a board-certified integrative physician, and you are also a licensed psychotherapist. You are the founder and chief medical officer of the Akasha Center in Santa Monica, and you also happen to be probably the number one person responsible, the magician behind the curtain, for everything that I teach and have learned over my many years about self-optimization and optimizing my health and my creativity. And frankly, I'm just basically still alive because of you. So on that note, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me back. I so appreciate the invitation. Yes, you and I have had many, many very uh, involved and in-depth discussions in the past about health and lifestyle and integrative medicine and traditional medicine. And for anybody that has not been exposed to our conversations before, I want to make sure that we put in the show notes links to all of our previous conversations. If there's a little bit of overlap introducing people to your approach and how it's different to the Western medical approach, I'm certainly fine with some of that overlap. But at the same time, I want to make sure that for the majority of this conversation, we get right to the heart of the topic, which is is talking all about your new book. So on that note, we are going to start there and it's probably going to dovetail into some more general conversations about integrative medicine and otherwise. But your new book is called Bloated with this amazing little graphic of a big old fat bee. You, I remember you telling me about how you got so excited for the idea of the cover for this book before you even had it. And the big bloated bee is part of the belly and it's how to reclaim your gut health and eat without pain. And the first question that I have for you is, frankly, your first question in the book. So I'm using your words and not mine. Why in the world write a book about poop? <laughs> My son would love that, too. He used to call me the poop doctor um, <laughs> when he was little. He's now 19. Um, basically, because bloating has and uh, grown to such epidemic proportions in the U.S. and certainly all over the country, all over the world. In my travels, I see one common complaint when it comes to gastrointestinal health is I eat and it doesn't feel good. I eat and I'm bloated. I eat it and I can't stop passing gas. And there is a stigma to elimination in our culture. We can talk about sweating, we can talk about crying, we can talk about skin brushing, letting go of dead skin, but God forbid we talk about poop. People get embarrassed, people run away as if it was, you know, a monster and something that's come get you or it's going to um, embarrass you. And I wanted to dismythify this whole thing about elimination. You know, uh, poop is to our body what an exhaust pipe is to a car. No matter how expensive your car is, if you're driving a, a gas vehicle, if you don't have a proper exhaust system, your function, your car is not going to function as effectively as it could otherwise. Poop is, is what tells us in the world of medicine, specifically in gastrointestinal medicine, what's happening inside our microbiome. 
Uh, you look at it, and I tell people sometimes, what's the color of your poop? What is the consistency of your poop? Is it well-formed? Uh, because I want to know what's happening inside. And the other reason why I wrote this book, a lot of people feel that they are alone in this. They feel that, you know, they are the only ones suffering from this, specifically if we are a woman, you know, for guys, for us, when we're in high school, when we're in college, passing gas, having, you know, who who farts the loudest, it's kind of a competition for guys. But for women, it can be very embarrassing. And for guys, sometimes it can be embarrassing uh, as well. It, it almost has this connotation that there's something dirty about you, that you're not taking care of yourself, that you are a slug. And I wanted to tell my readers that in you know twenty plus years of experience in doing this, going into three decades actually, that pooping issues it, uh, happens across all spectrums of society. It's an equal opportunity issue. You don't have to be uh, to belong to a particular socioeconomic background or a particular race or have a particular gender to deal with this. Uh, to be having poop issues, bloating issues. It's an equal opportunities. And so uh, the tendency of all of us when we are sick, when we feel embarrassed, is to retrieve because we feel alone. We feel that, you know, nobody else is dealing with this. And so there's a tendency to suffer quietly. And even with my patients in my office, sometimes it takes a little bit to get them to express to me what's really happening in their lives, in their, in their you know, health um, goals, and to, to get to the health they want. They come in with very, really clear ideas, but there's something when it comes to elimination that you know, prevents them from really expressing what's happening out there. And I felt that if I could tell stories, real stories of real people, who have gone through this across the spectrum of the population. And if I could add a little humor to it, that people could perhaps read this with a di different lenses, hear the story with different ears, and read with different eyes. And so that's the reason why I wrote it. Well, I can't speak for all podcasts across the spectrum, for which there are many, but I can speak for this one. And in almost 300 episodes, you've definitely broken the record for the number of times we mentioned the word poop in the introduction. <laughs> so very excited about that. And the reason I bring that to light is that we're laughing about something that can be very serious, but the tone we're taking now is very much the tone of your book, which I think is really appreciated because you're not the first person to ever write a about gut issues or the GI, the GI tract or the microbiome. And I feel like that's becoming a more common subject for doctors and other influencers, so to speak, to write about. Um, but a lot of times you just get so deep into the weeds of all these details and biochemicals and this and that. And one of the things that I appreciate about your book is that you clearly know what you're talking about, but you're talking to your patients, not to other fellow doctors or other experts. So it's much easier to follow. And it's just kind of funny. Like I said, I mean, the, the first phrase of your 
first chapter is why am I talking about poop, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, it's important to, to bring that to light. And uh, I guess where I want to start is just kind of baseline. So if we're just going to get the, you know, the, the magical words out of the way, we've got poop. You've mentioned the fart. Um, I, of course, don't fart. But for all of the other people that do, if we're talking a perfectly healthy person, not including myself, like what should we expect as a healthy looking, you know, as you say, like exhaust system on a, a daily basis? OK, so um, that's a great question. You know, we all poop. Even if you're the Queen of England, as I said in my book, you'll pass wind, right? I'm sure she appreciates that, by the way. I hope you got that cleared by the, uh, the kingdom. I'm trying to send the book to her. I haven't been successful yet. <laughs> so so, um, so passing gas is part of health. In fact, if somebody comes to my office and I ask them how many times a day do you pass gas, if they're having gastrointestinal issues, if they say not very often, I know there's a problem. Because the idea of gas is the food needs to be fermented before they get eliminated. That's a whole process, fermenting of food. In the process of fermenting of food, you're creating gas. And that's part of the process, of the metabolic process of elimination. The problem is not passing gas. The problem is passing too much gas and passing what I refer to as sticking bombs, right? The sticky bombs that can clear the room. And the sticking bombs that make you feel unwelcome or to feel that you are not being welcome in a situation. So the average person should pass anywhere from 10 to gas from 10 to 14 times a day. Now, it doesn't mean that it's allowed, you know, gas that you're passing, but silent, the silent gases that we all do, we all know this. Sometimes you see somebody walking down the street and you see that the, he lifts the right, leg, the right leg a little bit, right? To allow <laughs> the gas to come out. We all see this. And it's, and, and it's part of being healthy. It's part of the normal metabolic process. Now, if you're passing gas nonstop, if your gas are very stinky, right? Because you have in, increased methane gas in your body, in your excretion, then there's a problem. And that's what the book addresses. But one of the things that I found interesting, and I want to make sure that we go deep into some of the challenges and problems with uh, digestive issues, just I think most of it is going to be more related to stress than anything, because stress is such a huge cause of, um, you know, both the, the physical maladies and we'll get into even how this affects the, the mental side of things. Uh, and I, so I want to, to go there later. But at least for now, one of the things that I want to have you shed a little bit more light on that was even really interesting to me. And again, I don't personally fart, so it wasn't personally something that applied to, to my own life, but that there are a lot of reasons that you can pass gas on a regular basis on a normal day just by chewing gum or drinking carbonated water or even just the way that you talk. Like I find sometimes when I get really animated and I talk and I do a podcast or I do coaching, I'm a little gassy afterwards. And I realize yeah. it's just because I'm sucking in a lot of air. So talk through just some of the things that we shouldn't be worried about that are causing gas so then we can focus the, most of the time on red flags and understanding how the system really works. Okay, so that's an excellent question again, Zach. If you're passing gas on a regular basis, if it's not too stinky, if you're not feeling bloated, then you need to be grateful to your gases because it's telling you that you're healthy. So that's the number one um, message that I want your readers, your listeners to understand. It's a normal 
part of being healthy is to pass the gas because the food needs to be fermented, meaning broken down before you're going to eliminate them. Now, there, there are ways in life, in our everyday lifestyle, that we do without knowing that can increase gas production. For instance, drinking from a straw. You're sucking air, right? When you put a straw in your drink, it's my drink. If I were to put a straw here and suck it, I'm not only sucking the drink in itself, but I'm also sucking air. And when you when you said when you're overly excited about your incredible podcast and get excited and you swallow air, you pass gas, right? Um, so drinking carbonated water, here's a perfect example, right? I mean, I love my carbonated water. Right, I love getting a little can of good carbonated water and putting a little teaspoon of orange juice in it. Then I have my orange soda. That's what I told my children. I taught my children to do when they were little, to tell a child not to drink soda, and by not offering an alternative, it's not going to go well, as you know, as a father yourself. So I had to figure it out how to tell them, no, this is not good soda, but you can do this. Um, but carbonated water is, is increased fermentation. We ferment the water, right? We, and so, of course, it's going to increase the amount of gas that you pass. So if you have a problem passing too much gas, number one, let's look at the gas-producing foods and how they're being cooked. Beans, as you know, is a big one. It's a big culprit out there. But They're the musical fruit, after all. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but if you learn how to, you know, take the acidity out of your beans before you cook it, then, of course, you're decreasing the amount of fermentation in the water and the juice of the beans, and therefore you're going to be past less gas. So learning how to do that. In the book, I talk about using a pressure cooker in there. If you, if you use a pressure cooker, it cooks so fast that it, there's no time for the, the, for the fermentation to really happen so fastly. You, even before you put your, your beans in a pressure cooker, you can also uh, live in there without the, the top let it cook until the foam comes up to the surface. We all have seen being cooked. That foam is over fermentation. That foam is indeed what will make you pass more gas. It's the acidity. So you remove that, you take that with the spatula, and then you cook your beans. So learning what the what foods cause increased gas, if you pass so much gas, is imperative for you feeling less embarrassed. Yeah, I would say that food, and I'm, I'm not the doctor, you're the doctor, but from having been in the, the entertainment industry for 20 years and having a lot of friends that talk about constantly having GI issues, they say all the time, oh, I've, you know, I've got uh, self-diagnosed uh, IBD, irritable bowel, or IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, I've got a couple of friends that legit have Crohn's that have been sent to the emergency room and whatnot. And I would say a large portion of this, and you you can tell me if I'm wrong, but a large portion of this is just horrible lifestyles, living on pizza, eating in front of your desk. So let's talk about how just kind of the 24 seven, always on the go, grabbing fast food lifestyle is contributing to some of the major digestive issues that so many people have nowadays. Well, yeah, again, another great question, Zach. All you need to do is see what has happened in the last century, 
you know, and slowly been creeping up, right? We've become overly industrialized, especially first world countries and developing countries. So with that, we have had less time to cook at home. We've become more dependent in fast foods or going to restaurants. Well, we cannot control the quality of the food. No matter how good the restaurant is, you can control the quality. And so, and you, you'll go back in the last 40 years, for example, with this whole idea of supersized me, of the more food you put in front of a customer, the more the customer is going to come back to the same restaurant. This whole, all this kind of marketing tactics have, le- have led us into this rabbit hole where, you know, we eat a lot of pizza. We eat a lot of carbonated, we drink a lot of carbonated juice, uh, water or drinks. We eat on the go. You know, the idea of having a drive through where you go get your food and you're eating while you're driving, sitting, it is just incredibly crazy in my, under- in my mind as a physician who understands the physiology of the body, you know. Eating is more, it needs to be, you need to dedicate your time to eating. You need to be able that you're sitting, that you're not overly swallowing air, that you're not drinking a lot of water before or soon after, and that you're saying to yourself, this is time, my eating is so important that I, I must dedicate time, specific time, to be focused on how what I need to do to nurture my body. And so I think our lifestyles have shown us everything but how to eat correctly. You know, how many times do we put do we go home with enough time to sit at the table with our families, with our kids, with our spouses, and said, let's have a meal. It's usually one person eat before the other, the other person eats after the other, somebody eats right before they go to bed because of the busy life that we have created. So the first step is that to let go of this concept that one is to be independently wealthy, not have work, have you know chefs at home, have people basically manage your life so that you can cook correctly. That's not true. In fact, forgive me for being blunt. That's more an excuse that's tr- than it is truth. Or you could say, excuse me for being blunt, but that's bullshit. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, right? It is an excuse. You know, uh, recently I was lecturing to a group of teachers that teach low-income kids. And one of the teachers, really incredible, very dedicated teacher, said, oh, you don't understand my kids, uh, you know, have to eat with $5 a day. And I said, well, try me again. I was one of those kids at one time in the past. So you can go to McDonald's and look at the menu and still make a healthier decision, right? You can go in there and say, okay, I'm going to eat an open face sandwich. I'm not going to eat the other bread or I'm going to try to use their salads instead of french fries. So the idea of eating correctly is more a decision that you make. You make the decision and you let go of the excuses and you permit yourself to fall off the wagon sometimes when there's no other way but to go eat the pizza. But you are conscious of the choices that you're making so that eating habits doesn't become a prison to you. 
my sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a tilt Matt. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Everything that you just mentioned to me sounds fantastic. We're talking about lifestyle changes, better dietary choices. I'm sure we could talk more about the importance of movement and exercise and sleep. All of that sounds great. I'm just too busy. So the good news is that there are antacids and pills and prescriptions that can fix all of this for me, right? Right. Wrong. Why not? <laughs> See, that, that's what the TV tells me. Of course, the TV wants it to buy their products. Okay, you need. We need to look under the under the hood, Zach. You can either put a a, a band aid on a bleeding wound, hoping that it's going to stop bleeding, but you know it hasn't stopped. Or you can say, why is it bleeding? And so if you want to have an optimized health, if you want to be able to be vital, to grow and, you know, to age beautifully and graciously, to have vitality in your life, to have enough energy to exercise, to sleep well, you need to listen to what your body is telling you. Your body has a language, and you and I have talked about this for the last two decades. Many times, the language of your body is called symptoms. And again, let's go back to our, you know, our experience as fathers. When our children are crying and telling us in their own cry that there's something wrong, you just don't give them a pacifier and hope that they will go to bed. Right, if you know there's something yeah, wrong. Maybe sometimes. <laughs> I, I might be guilty of that once or twice. But yes, I understand. Go on. <laughs> if you know there's something wrong, you want to, because a kid is going to be satisfied with the pacifier for what, 10, 15 minutes, it's going to stop, it's going to start crying again. That's what your body does. 
Your body is your firstborn. As corny as it sounds, as you know, new agey as it may sound to some, but when you stop to think about the function of our bodies, the relationship that we have with them, there's a time in our lives that we become the father or the mother to our bodies because we put we put it to bed, we feed it, we make sure that it doesn't hit by a car, right? Um, that's the function of a father or mother. The other function is to listen and to understand what this body is trying to tell you. So yes, you can go get the anti-acid or do the home remedies, but I'm telling you, unless you go to the root cause, it's going to be a temporary solution that's going to make you even more frustrated 15 minutes later, 30 minutes later, when you realize it's back. Darn it, what, are the, what else do I need to do? I tell you what you need to do. You need to listen. You need to say, if my body had a verbal language instead of the symptoms, that is a language, but if you could tell me what's going on, what would it say? And I tell you, it's like multiple choice questions. We all have had the experience of taking a multiple choice test. We've also had the experience of not knowing the answers. And so you guess, but all experts says, do your best guess and don't go back. And so I tell my patients, make a guess, listen to your body and says, okay, is it the food that I'm eating? Is it how I'm sleeping? Right? Even that sometimes, right? Is it how I'm sleeping? If you sleep on a flat stomach, you know, gravity is going to push things down on you. And the tendency will be that you'll be more bloated, in that, right? So sleeping on the side, for instance, can be better. Uh, let me talk to my doctor. Let me talk to my practitioner to see what can I do in terms of my lifestyle, lifestyle-wise, that can get rid of it. In our country, in the first world, you know, um, economies, we want something now and we want it, you know, fixed quickly and we want what's called immediate gratification. That doesn't work for the body. Right. If you go get a dessert, yeah, there's immediate gratification, the sugar rush. But later on, if you're not meant to eat that dessert right now because it's not good for you, you're going to suffer. So that five minutes of pleasure turns into 12 hours of misery. And so the idea is, how do I listen to what my body needs? And it doesn't have to have, you don't have to have a very long dialogue with your body. It's just to be curious. Okay, I'm curious. I got up this morning and I was fine. Suddenly I'm bloated. Suddenly I'm gassy. I'm curious, what could be happening? And just be open. And when I said about the multiple choice questions, that if you're open to an answer, the answer will come. It may not be the right, the right answer, but it'd be an answer that's going to lead you in the right direction to find the right answer. And so that's why I said wrong. Right for the anti-acid if you want immediate gratification and a real, in a maybe resolution of the issues for 15 minutes to half an hour. But it's not going to last m- much longer. And you're going to be even more bloated and more frustrated after that. You've tasted Krispy Kremes though, right? <laughs> I have. In New- They're amazing. I know. I, mean- I know. Je- I know. Zach, in New York, believe me, when I was in residency, and I wanted a good treat, that was it, you know? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Krispy Kremes are, are, are my, my crack cocaine. Absolutely love them. And I always pay for it afterwards. Um, and I pay for it, not just in gastrointestinal distress, but I pay for it in other ways that are a lot longer term. And now I really want to kind of dig into some of the cooler science about this. Um, because I think that we could easily spend the entire rest of the podcast just talking about how lifestyle can improve gut health and gut function, et cetera, et cetera. But all that having been said about this idea of sugar causing the gastrointestinal distress. And, you know, I had a, a friend of mine once, uh, I'm not going to name any names, but he listens and he'll smile. Uh, he told me that after one sitting with Krispy Kremes, he had 32 Krispy Kremes uh, at once. And I can't even imagine what that did, did uh, to his gastrointestinal system and don't want to hear that story. Um, and again, could beat a dead horse incessantly about lifestyle, sleep, dietary choices. What I'm really interested in, however, is my audience better understanding the three brains and how the gut is really like a second brain? Because I know that if I were to have a Krispy Kreme or six or 32, it's not just that I would get digestion issues. I'm going to feel slow and lethargic and frankly depressed for days afterwards. And that's not just a coincidence. So for anybody that's never heard this concept of how the gut can actually be a second brain and we'll get to the third brain eventually, but talk to me about the importance of the gut beyond the fact that it just digests our food. Yeah, that's that's one of my most favorite questions actually when I'm lecturing is that is to explain to people the brain access, the brain gut access, right? Your brain is heavily connected, intrinsically connected to your gut. How do we know we're hungry? We know we're hungry because our brain needs glucose and it sends a, it sends a signal down to your gut, down to your to your stomach, down to your, you know, to your gastrointestinal system that says, hey, prepare for landing, right? What does that mean? Well, food is coming and food is going to have to land. So you're going to have to start releasing those digestive enzymes through your pancreas. You're going to have to release those, you know, um, incredible acids through your stomach. You're going to have to have peristalsis, bringing the food down. So eating is one of the most taxing things that your body goes through. Let me repeat it. Let me repeat that because it's really interesting when people get it. Eating is the, one of the most taxing, one of the most um, difficult to perform tasks that your body goes through. Because imagine... What, what the food has to do to be able to travel 30 plus feet of gut inside of you. Yeah, you heard me correctly, 30 feet. How is that possible? Well, I have a telephone cord here on my desk and I can show you. Here's the telephone cord and here how it looks, right? It's all entangled, right? Here it is. This is your gut. And so in every part of your gut, right? Every part of your gut, those little lines here, they're called crevices. They perform a function. So imagine the food has to travel, to travel the length of about 30 feet to be able to do what it needs to do. And all the medical, metabolic processes that happen, that must happen for that to occur. Now you have to release enzymes digestive enzymes, you have to have hydrochloric acid, you have to have peristalsis, you have to have water. Even when you drink, you're not drinking water, 
the body needs water to be able to metabolize, to process those foods. And so all of that happens in your brain. That's why when we say somebody's brain dead, the body stops functioning. That right there is an example. And you've all heard this. Somebody's brain dead, meaning he or she can no longer function, even though the body is not. Your liver, your kidney, your heart, everything may be working. But if your brain dead, there's no signal. So the brain and the uh, gut work like a key on the lock. One has no function without the other. If I were to give you 15 keys right now, and I've known you for a long time, when I give Zach Arnold the gift, he's 15 keys, you're going to say, Dr. D, what do I do with this? But if I suddenly give you locks, and then you're going to understand that I'm giving you the keys to go with the lock. And that's what the body does. For every particular metabolic action that is, uh, that is an action that requires a receptor. And that's the brain and the gut, how it works. So that's, that's why it's called the brain-gut axis. In fact, somebody asked me a very interesting question the other day sort of grand, through Grand Rounds. And he said the following. So does that mean we can ever see a gut, a complete gut um, transplant? He said, Dr. DeMello, we are in medicine has advanced to, to the extent where we are transplanting everything. Face, we're transplanting people's face, right? And uh, fingers and nails and people's genitals, you, you, you name it. And I said, not in our lifetime. I don't know what's going to happen several, you know, several decades from now. But for a brain, for a gut to be transplanted and work effectively, the work of connecting all the nerve endings to that gut would be so intensely complex that it wouldn't work. So you'd have to bring the brain and the gut together so that you know that that's not possible today. So that's why when you have, let's say, colitis or cancer in your colon, in your, somewhere in your gut, we have to cut one end, we cut the other, and we anastomosis meaning that the particular part that was disease is gone because the innovation, the contact, the connection with the, the brain is no longer there. So that's why we refer to the gut as really in some place, some literature refers to it as your second brain. The Chinese literature of the old incredible wisdom of Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine in India refers to it as your first brain. Because without that gut, there's no metabolic action that can occur in your brain. And without the brain, there's no metabolic action that can occur in your gut. So So what I'm curious about now is going a little bit deeper, specifically into the mental health side of things. Because one of the the really big kind of aha moments that I had working with you years ago and even rereading in your book kind of reminded me that the neurotransmitter serotonin, it's not in your brain. It's basically in your gut, which exactly. is why you don't feel happy and you feel depressed and you feel sluggish if you're putting crap in your gut. Isn't that exactly. the case? It's, a, it's beautifully said. I could not have said any better. And if you go back to neurolinguistics, right, which I personally love because it says a lot, you know, I'm lucky to be able to speak a couple of languages. And so when I look at languages, I'm very interested to see why do we say what we say? Most of us, you know, don't think about it. But for instance, let's look at the connection between your heart, between your emotions and your gut, right? In English, we say, what's your gut feeling? Meaning, what's your intuition? 
That's what it means. That's an emotional intuition. That's a psychological intuition. If you hurt, somebody hurts you, you say the following, that hurts so much, I feel, it feels like I got kicked in my stomach. Right there, pain relating to your gastrointestinal system. By the way, serotonin is also a pain mediator. In, in addition to being the happy hormone, it mediates pain, right? When you're nervous, you say, God, I feel so nervous. I feel like I have butterfly in my stomach. And I can go on and on and on in explaining the connection between the mind, the language that we use to describe psychological processes in our body. You're correct. Serotonin is both produced and metabolized in your gut by about 90%. Some research says 80, some say 90. Let's say between 80 and 90% of all serotonin is either is both produced and metabolized in your gut with a message from your brain. Remember, the brain is the hard drive. No different than my computer. If I'm here talking to you and I need to send a message, that message needs the hard drive to be able to send it to and interpret. Well, that's the brain function. So the brain is the hard drive of all your metabolic systems. And so when somebody comes to my office feeling bloated, feeling depressed, feeling anxious, and they want the Prozac, I will say, can we have a conversation about this first? Let's talk about why you are unhappy. Because the answer is not the Prozac Band-Aid, unless you have a clinical depression, meaning that you are not able to, com- co- to make and, and metabolize serotonin. There is a clinical um, either mutation or genetic predisposition that leads you to not be able to produce this hormone in the quantity that you need. But most of us are not clinically depressed when we are depressed. We are circumstantially depressed. It's a circumstance that leads to it. In the patients that I see, it's usually they are unhappy with their bodies. They are happy with their sex life because they feel they don't feel sexy. They don't feel desirable. They're bloated. They're unable to feel comfortable sitting on an airplane. You see in the book the stories that I wrote. Can you imagine sitting on an airplane and the person next door to you knows that the sticking the sticking bombs are coming from you? And so, of course, it would lead you to be depressed because of your circumstance. And then I will work with them in terms, okay, so what do we need to do to clean up your gut, to see what's under the hood? So yeah, serotonin is one of those really incredible hormones that can tell us a lot about what's happening in your GI system, not only in your brain, where most things comes from the brain, but no, mostly what's happening in the gastrointestinal system. So when people taking Prozac, or take any of the antidepressants come in and they want me to increase it, I'll say not until we look at the gut. Because remember the analogy that I gave you about giving you 15 locks without the keys. Yeah, serotonin is there being released from other parts in your body, not as many, not as much as in your gut. But if the receptor is blocked with inflammation, right? with a lot of these unhealthy things that lead to our body being completely depleted of good nutrients, this action won't happen. And so you're taking something and you're waiting for the result, but the main piece of the receptor that you need is blocked. 
What I want to go even deeper into now is this idea of what else is super, super important in the gut that people don't realize. And I know that a huge buzzword right now, uh, specifically in the gastrointestinal tract community, if there is one, um, and there's a lot of people talking about uh, the gut and writing books about it and whatnot, uh, but it's this idea of good bacteria and bad bacteria. And I don't want to go too deep into this because you literally write about it for chapters and chapters, uh, but I think it's really important for people that don't even understand there is such such a thing as good bacteria, how we need to protect it, and how antibiotics are essentially destroying the, our, our modern health and our modern society. Um, so let's go a little bit deeper in understanding bacteria, because just knowing the basics about this and the basics about neurotransmitters, those are the things that really kicked me in the gear and realizing I just can't live off the crap all, the, all day long because of what it's really doing to my body as a whole. Yeah. Another great question. There's a chapter in the book that I call bacteria, friend or foe, right? And let's, let's take a step back, you know? Why do we get pneumonia? Why do we get heart disease? Why do we get a lot of the maladies that can lead to our lives being compromised? Because of bacteria. Bacteria causes disease. Bacteria makes you feel, you know, it challenges the immune system. And everything that, that ends in itis is bacteria. So you have sinusitis, you have pharyngitis, you have, you know, bursitis. So itis in medicine means inflammation. Inflammation is usually secondary to either a musculoskeletal torsion or in some kind of case, in case of, in, in case of colitis, for instance, an imbalance of bacteria. So bacteria can definitely kill you. So why would you go in this country alone and spend over $6 billion a year taking probiotics, which is bacteria? Right? What is, what is, what's the function of this? What is the pro message that we're giving here? It's about balance. So everything in life is about balance. So what you're actually talking about, Zach, is the buzzword out there, which is called microbiome. Right? And we, all, we have a lot of research into the microbiome. The microbiome, you've never seen a microbiome. I've never seen a microbiome unless you're doing an autopsy. And even then, you would have to do it under the microscope and looking at the person's gastrointestinal lining to see what's there. But most of us have seen a beehive, whether in person or on TV or in a magazine. So the microbiome is to us what a beehive is to honey. Let me take a little further. What is a beehive? Millions and millions of bacteria working for one single function, one single purpose, and that is to make honey. And in order to do that, it needs good pollination, which is food. It's a good water source. It needs a perfect temperature. And it needs a, a beekeeper that understands that, that to take care of that beehive is to give it everything that it needs, the water, the food, the good love, without poking it. That's your microbiome. Let's look at the microbiome. What does your gut need to be able to operate properly? so that you can have good, met, good metabolism. You can poop, you can go to the bed without feeling bloated. You need good food. You need water that's not very cold or very hot, like we were talking before. You need to be able to give a good, you know, good temperature as well. And you need to be able to take care of it without poking. If you get the beehive, when you see there's something wrong, there's flies around the beehive, and you spray the beehive, 
with pesticide, you're going to kill the whole hive. If you get into your gut and you spray your gut with antibiotics when you don't need it, then you're going to kill the whole microbiome, meaning the balance of the good and bad bacteria is off. The good bacteria is the bacteria that's going to help you break down your foods. No different than the bacteria that we use to make wine, to make cheese, right? To make fermented food, to make kombucha. It's the same thing. But if you go in there and you start poking that beehive, your gut, with antibiotics, you sneeze, you get antibiotics, right? You have a headache, you get antibiotics. Not only are you stopping the proliferation of the good bacteria because you're telling it, stop producing bacteria. Antibiotics is not selective. It's going to kill every bacteria that is in front of it. So, And I'm not speaking against antibiotics. I want you to know that I'm very supportive Pro-antibiotic, which can be very paradoxical, but pro-antibiotic. I'm not really pro. I'm grateful that it exists. Sure. I like that. I'm grateful that it's the antibiotics saved the world. I mean, we are here because of penicillin, right? That's where the world is here. But what happened is something called marketing. And when turning on TV, how many times you see somebody there? Have you talked to your doctor about this medication? Have, are you feeling this? Are you feeling that? How about talking to your doctor about this? And so you come into a medical system that is completely overwhelmed. The doctors do not have the time or the compensation needed to be able to really look at patients in the eyes. And you're going to say, Dr. DeMello, I feel like my ears are hurting a little bit. And I feel like I have something brewing, maybe an ear infection. Can I, can I get the, the antibiotic? And you're going to say, well, how about if we do that? No, 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 I have no time for that. And you only have five minutes with that patient at the most. So what are you going to do in this healthcare system that is broken? You're going to give the patient the antibiotic because you have another patient waiting for you. And that's the problem. The problem is not only that doctors are overprescribing, but patients are not educated enough in the dangers of it. So if you come into my office and you have a wound in your hand that is hot, that's oozing, and you have a fever, I'm never going to talk to you about acupuncture without talking to you about antibiotics as well. But if you came into my office and says, I have a little throat pain and it's been bothering me a little bit, do you have a fever? No. Are you sweating? No. Um, do you have anything else going? No, no. It's just that pain. Why don't we try this, this, this? Let's give the body a chance to be challenged. And then let's speak in a couple of days to see where, where we are at. That's the right approach. Our medical system doesn't allow that. So you have doctors want to get the patients out of the office. And you want oh, patients not having the patients to wait for the body to do what's been trained to do since conception, which is to fight disease. So that's where the problem is. And I want to make sure to really emphasize with all the importance in the world when you talked about this idea of the broken medical system, 
This is something you and I talked about at length ad nauseum for a long time in one of our earlier podcasts. So once again, if somebody's thinking, wait, what is he talking about? What does that mean? I don't want to go down that path again because we've done it. We're going to make sure to link to it in the show notes. And I want to kind of stay on the, the right path here. But that is something that both you and I have been very, very passionate about talking about for years because frankly, I found you because the traditional medical system failed me and I was looking around for any kind of alleviation of the symptoms I was having from depression and massive anxiety, what ended up turning out to be uh, adult onset ADHD, not knowing any of it. It was just a matter of take this pill, take that pill. And I didn't understand any of it. And then all of a sudden you schedule a session for like 90 minutes. I'm like, 90 minutes like who is this guy and then you actually like care about my life and my partner and what I'm eating and what I'm doing and what I think about my job and my coworkers. and um, you know I don't think you've ever prescribed me an antibiotic frankly I don't think I've ever needed one since we've known each other Um, but the the point being that we could talk about this because we both have giant soapboxes but we already have it on the recording so that being said I want to I want to stay on task and I want to get to what for me is really the heart of the conversation where I'm the most interested in and it's something that you don't tap into a whole lot in the book. You kind of open the conversation, but you're doing a nice little general overview of everything. And I want to keep digging down into this idea of gut instinct. Because what you do as a creative professional is you have to learn how to follow your gut. If I'm a mathematician, I have the numbers. Math is right or math is wrong. There's certainly a lot of complex equations and complex problem solving, and you're still creative, but it's a different part of the brain. When you are a creative person, you have to follow your gut instinct. And one of the things that I talk to my students about is if you are faced with what could be a quote unquote opportunity and you're thinking to yourself, let's say I'm either debating between two opportunities or one has come my way and I'm not sure if it's the right fit. There's an exercise that I take them through and I want you to help me, first of all, identify if I'm crazy or not with this exercise, but maybe even help me elaborate or make it better. But what I ask them is they say, when you think about going into this job, really visualize sitting in that desk, working with these people, whether down the hall, email, Slack, whatever it is, what is the first gut feeling that you get? Do you feel nervous or do you feel anxious? And they always look at me and they say, I don't get it. What's the difference? Aren't they the same thing? And the way that I explain it to them is I say, if you, if you really feel in your gut, is it butterflies Or is it like this big, giant, black pit of a weight that's weighing you down that makes you feel miserable? And then they're like, oh, yeah, I kind of get that. And then they can better ascertain, is this making me feel really anxious and am I negative about it? Or it's scary and it's unknown and it's going to be hard, but it's more butterflies. Yeah. So I've always explained that. But why does that actually have meaning? Because we're talking about gut instinct. What's actually happening? I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for 
for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. What's happening is that your your heart, and now we're talking about heart. Your Which is the heart, third brain. I want to make exactly, sure for everybody's like, what's the third yeah. brain? Now we're there. <laughs> it's your heart. Um, your heart and your brain together is invincible. I mean, think about it. If you are, if you're operating from, this is incredible, this high drive. This high drive main purpose is to protect you, is to feed you, is to keep you alive. So somebody else fire, your, your pupils are gonna get really small so that you can focus. Blood is gonna rush all the way to, down to your legs so that you can run. So that you're, not, you're now on the fight or flight response. So your brain main focus is to keep you alive, is to feed you, give you signals for food, and to protect you. That's what the brain does. Your heart is to keep you open, is to keep you curious. When we are evolved enough, wanting to be open enough to understand the difference between those, those three, between those three brains. So look at your heart. And I'm not talking about your physical heart. When we do autopsies or, 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 or surgery and we open, open heart surgery, you're not going to see intuition in the heart. I'm talking about your personal heart. I'm, not, I'm talking about your spiritual heart. I'm talking about your emotional heart. I'm talking about the same heart that says, my God, I'm so in love with that person. I'm so in love with this project. I'm so in awe of this book that I'm reading. When you connect the heart, the function of the heart with your gut, and you say to your students, no, I'm not talking about fear. One is fear. What you're talking about, the feeling, the pit in your gut, it's fear. And fear has a lot of messages for you. When you're talking about excitement, wow. Ooh, I have the butterfly. It's an exciting thing for you to engage. It's a, that excitement leads to curiosity. That excitement leads to, wow, what if, you know, what do I need to do to succeed, to jump into that meeting and be the best I can do? And I think you're doing a brilliant job, Zach, in teaching people that. I wouldn't add anything but the following, you know, what you're telling them is that everything happens twice, right? I'm here with this phone, right? I'm looking at the phone buzzing here, right? Steve Jobs, this phone happened in his head before he gave it to somebody to execute. 
So how many times did the phone happen? Twice, right? I'm looking at this stethoscope here. Somebody designed a stethoscope that has this particular head, this particular earpiece, and this, I think was a she. She designed it in her head. She said, what if the head is like this, the head's like that? When you're writing a script for your shows or for your, the movies that you are editing, you are creating an image in your head before you execute it. Well, that's life. And if you put that in practice, if you can realize that this is where it happens in your hard drive, but not without doubt. If there's a doubt coming in, instead of pushing, I can't believe I'm doubting my knowledge, I'm doubting my skills, be curious, go, wow, I wonder why I'm doubting that. And so it's a conversation to be had with your mind and the doubt. So I think what you're doing is actually incredibly inspiring because you're telling people in so many words, be present with your feeling. And when you're present with that feelings, when the heart, the third brain, when the heart jumps in, you are invincible. And of course, I get excited about this because I could only do medicine the way I do it. For me, with a, a deep knowledge in psychology first. Because out of all the people that I see in my office, inevitably, 50 to 60%, I'm going to repeat that, 50 to 6% of all, every disease have a psychological factor to it. I'm not saying that it's all in people's head. Not I'm saying that if you can just wish that this is out, it's going to go away. But I'm saying that there's a connection. I don't know which came first. Is it that you got so anxious that you got diseased? Or is it that you got diseased and then you got so anxious? I don't know. All I know, going back to neurolinguistics, is that when you, when you look at the radical, at the formation of the word, it's called this ease. You're not at ease. And that alone tells you a lot. When you're diseased, you're not at ease. And so I tell people, okay, Let's take the this out of the disease and tell me what do you need to do to feel at easy in your life? I'll take care of you. We'll refer you to surgery. We'll refer you to have a deep evaluation in whatever else. Your eyes are bothering you. But before we do that, what else in your life is make you uneasy so that we can take the this out of disease and see what's left? Does that make sense? Oh, not only does it make sense, but I mean, we're just tapping into like the the deepest reasons that I created all this to begin with, really having no idea what I was doing at the time and still kind of sort of don't. But really the the hypothesis that I had 15 plus years ago, largely thanks to you and working with you, is that in order for me to be the best creative professional, the best editor, the best director, the best writer, whatever the craft is – I can't just put my nose to the grindstone and shut the blinds and work in the dark and just power through. I have to treat myself like a high performance machine, which is why I've learned so much about how to eat better, how to sleep better, how to move more, how to exercise. And for me, the hypothesis was that what I do for a living, the reason that people pay me money, the money that supports my family and make sure that my kids have a roof is my ability to make decisions. It all comes down to that. I make thousands of decisions per day as an editor or a writer. Anybody that's creative has to make a decision. Should I do it this way? Should I do it that way? A composer says, should this be a B sharp or should this be a D flat or whatever? 
everybody's making all these micro decisions. And if you're creative, especially those decisions require intuition. And if intuition is physically coming partially from your gut brain and partially from your heart brain, and you're not mindful or aware of those sensations because you're putting garbage into your body and you're not moving, then you're eliminating or drastically reducing your ability to be creative. So what you're putting into it and how you're moving it is actually making you worse at what you do. Yeah. Well, I, I can personally attest to, to why your program keeps growing, keeps growing and growing and growing. My own personal experience uh, of sending patients to your optimize yourself is that inevitably all these people come back with one way of describing you, which is he's authentic. He, he talks about himself, not separate from all of us, but like part of one of us. And, or it could be one of us, right? So the truth is when we walk down the street and you see a homeless person sitting there, you're, you're probably a few steps away from becoming that. You're not very far away from becoming that. We think there's miles of distance between me and that person. And that's the illusion. The illusion is that what it would be like for me to enter this person's life right now. And I talk about homelessness, homelessness because it's one of the things that I am very passionate about in our country is that talking about broken system, we have to do something about it. But the idea in your case, and I think that's the reason why I also wanted to write the book, is because we are no different than the person sitting here. It's like effectiveness happens when you enter that person's space. And we know that, again, talking about children, to be an effective parent is to be able to enter the child's fantasy world and see what's happening there. Otherwise, you're missing the boat. You're missing the biggest developmental stage in childhood, which is fantasy. And tell me, who don't, who, which one of us do not have a fantasy that we want to live by? That want to, that wish something would happen, that wish that something could be different. And I think for me, what, what I know about your work is that authenticity that says to people, hey, I've been there. I've taken the antidepressant. I've been miserable. I've done this. Let me tell you what I did. And so it makes the, your suggestion palpable because it's not coming from a place of, oh, this is a well, this is a brilliant guy, well-studied, who has some suggestion to us. It, it, it brings down to the personal level. And that's why the book has all the stories. I wanted to take it from the scientific evidence. And as you said in the beginning, I don't need to write to doctors or to other practitioners. They know. What I needed to write to is for my patients and give them some stories that they can identify with. Why do we spend billions and billions of dollars making movies, writing books, entertaining people? Because we all want to hear stories. We all want to connect to stories. We all want to cry through stories or laugh through stories. And so what do you do? You know, praising you, I think it's phenomenal because of your authenticity. And the book, I believe, it's going to make a mark in people because it's also authentic because I talk about my own story, my own struggles as a 12-year-old boy living in the outskirts of Rio, having to rush to the bathroom, which by the way, had no door, just a <laughs> curtain, and going like, what the heck's going on with my gut? And I didn't have the language to understand the pathophysiology, the mechanism of action 
that was happening with disease in my gut, but I knew one thing. It was connected to the what we're hearing out there, to the violence, to the shooting, whatever it is, to my, the relation between my parents. I knew there was a connection. I just couldn't tell at the point why I didn't know how to make those connections, um, how to translate the connection in language that I could use. So, yeah, connecting with people, look at them in the eyes, telling them, I've been there is what makes our work different. Well, I can tell you one thing that was very unexpected about reading your book was the fact that not only does it talk about the microbiome and bacteria and digestion and all the things that you learn from it, but it was actually a really inspirational story about this young kid from the barrio and Rio and you know from South America that figures out how do I come to America and make something of myself and learn the language and just happens to become one of the world's foremost experts on integrative medicine. I didn't see that coming. Didn't see that part coming. I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn something about digestion and maybe, you know, why I fart when I eat beans and what I can do to improve my diet. And I'm like, there's just, there's a lot of stuff that even knowing you for almost 20 years, I still didn't know. And I'm like, I had no idea that happened to you and what an amazing story. So mm-hmm. um, you're basically what you're doing very similar to what I do, which is I'm trying to hide all the really important education in the form of entertainment. So I'm tricking you. Well, you're going to enjoy it, but you better learn something anyways, right? Um, and I think just to, first, first of all, I, I appreciate all the the praise and it's very nice of you to say. Um, But what I believe makes a great coach or in your case, a great practitioner or doctor or anything else, obviously the knowledge helps. And for years, I had this horrible imposter syndrome thinking, who am I to be writing and talking about this stuff? Like, I'm not an expert. I don't have degrees. I don't have certifications. I haven't gone to secondary school to cover all of these things. But what I realized, and I know this is one of the hugest components of your practice, and the reason I want to bring it up, is that I have found what makes me a really good coach and what makes you a really good doctor is empathy. If you learn how to authentically convey empathy, and empathy is different than sympathy, because you need to be sympathetic too. But if you can convey empathy, that's when you can really affect change, because I believe that's when people start to trust you. You're so right. You're so right. Um, Somebody asked me the other day why empathy is so important in one's life. And I said, because empathy makes you feel heard. Empathy makes you feel seen. You don't have to say much to be empathetic. In fact, sometimes the more you say, the more the less empathetic you become because you try too hard. And I give the example of a dog, you know, for those of us who are animal lovers, and I am. Um, you come home tired, your life has been busy, you haven't eaten, you haven't been able to, you have you haven't had time to go to the bathroom as often as you need to, and you go, it's rushing to pee. And then your dog comes in. And what does that dog want? First wants to welcome you home, show your excitement. And then he or she wants to be seen. And so you look at the dog. The dog is in there wagging the tail. You put your hand, hey, guy, or hey, girl, and do that. And then the dog goes out so happy. He's now has been touched. He's being acknowledged and he's being seen. Well, that's us. We want to be seen, we want to be touched by people's love and story, and we want to be acknowledged. And so when you do that, and I know how well you do that, the end result is that people listen, people understand, they go, hmm, wow, this person really cares about me. 
Well, just via osmosis, you've been a, a very good teacher in that respect. Um, just you. by you know being being in your chair many, many, many times over the years, uh, have uh, you know picked up a thing or two, or dare I say, stolen a technique or two. Um, but have uh, done my best to, to learn how to to listen. And like you always say, you don't treat symptoms; you treat patients, which is yes. the absolute ass backwards way of the way that our Western medical system is designed. Which again, not getting it on that soapbox because we have. Um, but in conclusion, just because we're running a little bit over time, and I want to be very respectful of yours because it is so valuable. Um, for somebody that's listening to this that relates to just chronic gut issues, not like, oh, I've got a stomach ache, but man, I'm just chronically bloated and I just feel like it doesn't matter what I eat, I feel like crap and I'm always tired and I'm frankly, I can't be too far away from a bathroom, I can't travel long distances. Other than the obvious, which is buy your book, where do you suggest they start? What are some simple action steps just to get them started and get them 1% better than they are today? Um, that's, that's a great question, Zach. The first step is for them to assess the severity of the condition. Is that something that came out of nowhere? Maybe you went out to a barbecue party when you go out to a vacation in a foreign country and you came back and you're having those symptoms. Now there's a cause and effect. And that is most patients, right? Most cases, you go on vacation, you go to a foreign terrain, you eat different foods, or you overdrink, or you overeat, you have symptoms. Assessing the severity, meaning, am I equipped right now to make the decision what I need alone, or do I need help? So I think that's the first step. And it doesn't have to be a medical doctor. It can be a nutrition that you trust. It can be a naturopathic doctor that you can have a conversation to. Sometimes people's primary care providers are their chiropractors. But somebody that can reflect back to you, oh, hold on a second, Zach, this is very acute, okay? So we have a cause and effect, there was your trip. This has been creeping up for a little while. Maybe before we do anything in terms of treatment, let's do an imaging study. Let's look at your, let's do an ultrasound. It costs very little, most insurance covers, but it can tell you, do you have fatty liver? Do you have, you know, stone somewhere that is causing this? You no know, gallstones, liver stone. Do a blood test. Are you anemic, right? Uh, is there a place in your body that is vitamin deficient or mineral deficient? So what I want to instill upon people it's a severity of the symptoms that's going to drive who you're going to speak with. If you go to Mexico, or if you go to Brazil, or you go to a place and you come back with traveler's diarrhea, we have a cause and effect. So you can speak, you can read a book, you can look online, you can talk to a friend. But if it's in creeping up slowly, I urge all of our listeners to please take better care of yourself. So your body, the love that we show our dogs and our cats, and go talk to somebody. So assuming that you go talk to somebody, there's nothing metabolically wrong or physically wrong. The first step is to take back and say, if my body had the language, what would it say about this bloating? And trust the answer. Now, I, as I say my kids, my kids again, are you ready to hear the answer? Pop, can I go to the mall? Oh, hold on a second. It's 10 o'clock at night. Are you ready to listen to hear the answer and be comfortable with it? So the body is the same thing. If you're going to ask a question, I wonder what this is coming from. 
be clear that you're ready to listen to hear the answer and not fight it. Because the answer may be, Zach, you're working freaking too much. Zach, you know, you're working out. If I'm working, you're working out too much. You're giving your body no chance to rest, or you're not sleeping enough, or hey, Zach, maybe you're a little bit too angry at the world. Maybe the world is not here for you to fight it anymore. You've arrived, right? So go to this first brain and next the question, and then look at your lifestyle. I think lifestyle has a lot to do, right? How do I eat my foods? I sit down sometimes at restaurants and I'm, I'm actually very curious to see people sitting there and taking an hour to eat the foods. And the next table, you know, the food is gone in five minutes. Now that just, are you, are you really chewing your food? How, what's your relationship to water? Are you the one that, you know, every time you take a bite, you drink a, you know, half glass or quarter glass of water, you're going to bloat. Right, especially if you're drinking, if you're eating pastas or breads, you're gonna blow. So understanding the cause and effect. A lot of us want the answers given to us, right? In the old days, you come to the doctor and they would say, Oh, I don't know, you're the doctor. I still hear that sometimes. I ask sometimes, hey, John, Mary, Peter, why do you think you're bloating? Oh, I don't know. If I knew I wouldn't be here, you're the doctor. Right? Well, I may be the doctor, but your body doesn't talk to me. It talks to you. I'm the interpreter of your symptom. I'm your symptoms whisperer, but it's going to talk to you. So educating your clients, your audience, that your body talks to you. It's called symptoms and you listen and you may not know how to interpret that language. But when you go to a practitioner, a practitioner says, hey, Zach, hey, Edison, why are you having the symptom?" I think it's food related. That puts you in control. So now you have the condition without it having you. Let me repeat it again, because it's very, very important to get that. You either can have a disease or the disease can have you. When the disease has you, you are a prisoner to it. I don't know. You're the doctor. So now you're the prisoner. When you say, you know what? I don't know why, but let's figure out together. Now you are in control. Now you have it without having you. So I think the first step is to do a self-assessment and to look at your gut, health, in terms of your habits, to be able to listen and to be able to look for, to ask for the help, for help if you feel help is needed at the time. My grandmother, who in the book, I dedicated a book to her. Um, she was my Brazilian grandmother. She was illiterate and he had the, the most brilliant woman I always, I've always ever met. She would always teach me as I was growing up, you know, be careful when what you ask for. Are you ready to listen? And when you listen, are you able to listen with the two ears that were given to you and not try to speak with them one mouth that you were given? Should say, why do you have two ears and only one mouth? Because you should be listening more than talking. And so listen to your body. And when you want to talk, uh, stop, take a deep breath and say, okay, tell me more. And that's, I think, it's the wisdom, for lack of a better word, that I'd like to steal upon the audience out there. Listen more, talk less. 
Lisa Moore gives less excuse. My God, I give so many excuses. Just the other day, I got home and I was a little nauseated. You won't believe what the stories in my mind were telling me. Oh, it's this, it's that. Instead of saying, Edison, ask your body. You teach this stuff. So I did. I said, I said, hey, buddy, why are we nauseated? And the answer, I had drunk a lot of kombucha that day. I love kombucha. And I didn't have a lot of time to eat, but I have kombucha in the fridge. It's a little natural sugar. It's fermented. It's refreshing. I'm not used to drinking three a day. And I did. That was the answer right there. It was too much. And so with water, for example, you can either be dehydrated or you can be overly hydrated. The answer is neither or. The answer is the balance. So listen more to your body. Give less excuse. I would say that is a, an amazing answer, and I can attest firsthand to the both psychological and physiological effect of that single question, because I remember the first time you asked that of me years ago, and it literally, like using one of your phrases in the book, it's like a punch in the gut, because you realize how authentically true that question is, and you usually know the answer, but you just don't want to listen to it, right? Like years ago, why? What, what would your body be telling you because you feel so stressed out or heavy? or lethargic, it's like, well, I treat myself like crap. I work way too much and I'm working with toxic people that don't respect me. But I don't want to hear myself telling me that because those are all decisions that I've made and I put myself in that position. So, oh, well, it just, it um, uh, it, it must be that, do you have a pill? Just, <laughs> right? So I've, I've been through that experience and I, I would imagine that you've had more than one person when you ask them that point blank, that they just stare and then break into tears. Yes. Yes. And they, that's so good that you brought that up because it happened today twice. And people, I'm say, sure. people say to me, there's something in this office that makes me cry. And even though it would be a pleasure for me to think that it's true, that it's a magic in my office, we all know it's not true. The magic is you. The magic is not me because as long as we have a place that you can go to feel emotional, to deal with your feelings, then you're still in the prison that I have to go there. And I say, that's so lovely of you. It's not me. It's you. I just asked the right question. And so you're right. You know, most of us are sometimes project our fears, project our angers, or we are in denial. And by the way, in terms of psychological processes, those are called defense mechanisms. Projection is a defense mechanism. What is a defense mechanism? It's those mechanisms that our mind uses to protect us. If you didn't have defense mechanism, you would be Joe Smo screaming out loud in the middle of the street that God has been bad to you. That's the difference between us, so-called psychologically intact, and the people out there that may be psychologically broken temporarily, is that we have something called defense mechanisms of which projection and denial are part of it. But again, like everything else is moderation. Am I too much in denial about this? Am I projecting my anger, my sadness too much into work? It's all about work. If I, would, if I only had my dream job, if I only had the less angry boss, it's not that. If we think it's other people, then we are cutting ourselves short. It's how we react to other people. It's how we react to the situation. So, so happy you asked that question. 
Yeah, I think that it's uh, it's vitally important for people to, to think about it beyond, like you said, well, I go to the doctor's office, they're wearing the white coat, and therefore, whatever they tell me to do, I should do. Um, I definitely don't advise that approach. And uh, again, we could talk about it a whole lot more, but I want to be very respectful of your time. So for anybody that has listened to our conversation today that realizes that this is something they want to address, where can they find the book and where can they find you? Oh, thank you. So the book, there's a website for the book. It's called bloatedbook.com. Very difficult. Which right? is ironic because it's actually quite tight and small and easy to read. So the yeah. book itself is not bloated, um, <laughs> no, but bloatedbook.com. And somebody pointed out the other day, I don't know if you can see this, that the B can also be seen as a toilet. You know? Oh, yeah. Very nice. I like it. <laughs> I know. Very I go, smart. That was unintentional, by the way. It was <laughs> I like, bet subconsciously it was. Maybe. I wonder, I told the designer, the book designer, that um, that the graphic needed to be about pregnant bees. So anyway, mm. so the book is available on Amazon. You just say Bloated by uh, Dr. Edison DeMello. Uh, it's available on uh, Bars and Oboe. And if you want to see where else is available so that you're not out there searching online, you can just go to the website called bloatedbook.com and it's going to give you a little synopsis of the book and also tell you, tells you where you can buy it. To find me, it's uh, just go to akashacenter.com. It's the name of the clinic that I run, that I founded. It's akasha, is spelled as A. K-A-S-H-A, so akashacenter.com. Excellent. Well, we're going to make sure to put links to all those in the show notes. So anybody that's listening, whether they're driving or reading or exercising, whatever, they just look at their phone or their device and there's the link and we can send them right to where they need to go. Um, But on that note, as always, just an immense, tremendous pleasure to have this conversation. I can't believe I get to learn all this from you for free. This is such a scam. (laughs) This is such a great way for me to get my, uh, you know, my unofficial medical degree from one of the best and do it for free. So I appreciate the value of your time and your expertise. And the ripple effect that, that you use with this thing that you learned from me is music to my heart. So, well, I very, very much appreciate to my that. Ear, to my heart. Yes, to my ear, of course. So. Um, thank you so, yeah, so much. Th- and thank you so much. I appreciate everything that you have uh, done to impact my life and those around me positively. Thank you, Zach. It's a pleasure to be with you in this space again. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.